Chapter Sixteen of the Wide, Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide, Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter Sixteen. Council Cakes and Captain Perry. Early next morning, Ellen awoke with a sense that something pleasant had happened. Then the joyful reality darted into her mind. And jumping out of bed, she set about her morning work with a better heart than she had been able to bring to it for many a long day. When she had finished, she went to the window. She had found out how to keep it open now by means of a big nail stuck in a hole under the sash. It was very early, and in the perfect stillness, the soft gurgle of the little brook came distinctly to her ear. Ellen leaned her arms on the window sill and tasted the morning air, almost wondering at its sweetness. And at the loveliness of field and sky, and the bright eastern horizon, for days and days all had looked dark and sad. There were two reasons for the change. In the first place, Ellen had made up her mind to go straight on in the path of duty. In the second place, she had found a friend. Her little heart bounded with delight and swelled with thankfulness at the thought of Alice Humphreys. She was once more at peace with herself, and had even some notion of being by and by at peace with her aunt. Though a sad twinge came over her whenever she thought of her mother's letter, but there is only one way for me. She thought, "I'll do as that dear Miss Humphreys told me. It's good and early, and I shall have a fine time before breakfast yet to myself. And I'll get up so every morning and have it. That'll be the very best plan I can hit upon." As she thought of this, she drew forth her Bible from its place at the bottom of her trunk, and opening it at hazard, she began to read the eighteenth chapter of Matthew. Some of it she did not quite understand, but she paused with pleasure at the fourteenth verse. That means me, she thought. The twenty-first and twenty-second verses struck her a good deal, but when she came to the last, she was almost startled. There it is again, she said. That is exactly what that gentleman said to me. I thought I was forgiven, but how can I be? For I feel I have not forgiven Aunt Fortune. Laying aside her book, Ellen kneeled down. But this one thought so pressed upon her mind that she could think of scarce anything else, and her prayer this morning was an urgent and repeated petition that she might be enabled from her heart to forgive her aunt Fortune all her trespasses. Poor Ellen, she felt it was very hard work. At the very minute she was striving to feel at peace with her aunt, one grievance after another would start up to remembrance, and she knew the feelings that met them were far enough from the spirit of forgiveness. In the midst of this, she was called down. She rose with tears in her eyes, and what shall I do in her heart? Bowing her head once more, she earnestly prayed that if she could not yet feel right towards her aunt, she might be kept at least from acting or speaking wrong. Poor Ellen, in the heart is the spring of action, and she found it so this morning. Her aunt and Mister Van Brunt were already at the table. Ellen took her place in silence. For one look at her aunt's face. Told her that no good morning would be accepted. Miss Fortune was in a particularly bad humor, owing, among other things, to Mister Van Brunt's having refused to eat his breakfast unless Ellen was called. An unlucky piece of kindness. She neither spoke to Ellen nor looked at her. Mister Van Brunt did what in him lay to make amends. He helped her very carefully to the cold pork and potatoes, and handed her the well-piled platter of griddle cakes. Here's the first buckwheats of the season," said he. And I told Miss Fortune I weren't a goin' to eat one of 'em if you didn't come down to enjoy 'em along with us. Take two, take two. You want 'em to keep each other hot. Ellen's look and smile thanked him, 
as following his advice she covered one generous buckwheat with another as ample that's the thing now here's some prime maple you like em i guess don't you i don't know yet i've never seen any said ellen never seen buckwheats why they're most as good as my mother's splitters buckwheat cakes and maple molasses that's food fit for a king i think when they're good and misfortunes are always first-rate miss fortune did not relent at all at this compliment what makes you so white this morning mr van brunt presently went on you ain't well be you yes said ellen doubtfully i'm well she's as well as i am mr van brunt if you don't go and put her up to any notions miss fortune said in a kind of choked voice mr van brunt hemmed and said no more to the end of breakfast time ellen rather dreaded what was to come next for her aunt's look was ominous in dead silence the things were put away and put up and in the course of washing and drying when miss fortune suddenly broke forth what did you do with yourself yesterday afternoon i was up on the mountain said ellen what mountain i believe they call it the nose what business had you up there i hadn't any business there what did you go there for nothing nothing you expect me to believe that you call yourself a truth-teller i suppose mamma used to say i was said poor ellen striving to swallow her feelings your mother i dare say mothers always are blind i dare say she took everything you said for gospel ellen was silent from sheer want of words that were pointed enough to suit her i wish morgan could have had the gumption to marry in his own country but he must go running after a scotchwoman a yankee would have brought up his child to be worth something give me yankees ellen set down the cup she was wiping you don't know anything about my mother she said you oughtn't to speak so it's not right why ain't it right i should like to know said miss fortune this is a free country i guess our tongues ain't tied we're all free here i wish we were muttered ellen i know what i'd do what would you do said miss fortune ellen was silent her aunt repeated the question in a sharper tone i oughtn't to say what i was going to said ellen i'd rather not i don't care said miss fortune you began and you shall finish it i will hear what it was i was going to say if we were all free i would run away well that is a beautiful well-behaved speech i am glad to have heard it i admire it very much now what were you doing yesterday up on the nose please to go on wiping there's a pile ready for you what were you doing yesterday afternoon ellen hesitated were you alone or with somebody i was alone part of the time and who were you with the rest of the time miss humphreys miss humphreys what were you doing with her talking did you ever see her before no ma'am where did you find her she found me up on the hill what were you talking about ellen was silent what were you talking about repeated miss fortune i had rather not tell and i had rather you should tell so out with it i was alone with miss humphreys said ellen and it is no matter what we were talking about it doesn't concern anybody but her and me yes it does it concerns me said her aunt and i choose to know what were you talking about ellen was silent will you tell me no said ellen low but resolutely i vow you're enough to try the patience of job look here said miss fortune setting down what she had in her hands i will know i don't care what it was but you shall tell me or i'll find a way to make you i'll give you such a stop stop said ellen wildly you must not speak to me so mamma never did and you have no right to if mamma or papa were here you would not dare talk to me so 
The answer to this was a sharp box on the ear from Miss Fortune's wet hand. Half stunned, less by the blow than the tumult of feeling it roused, Ellen stood a moment, and then throwing down her towel, she ran out of the room, shivering with passion, and brushing off the soapy water left on her face as if it had been her aunt's very hand. Violent tears burst forth as soon as she reached her own room, tears at first of anger and mortification only, but conscience presently began to whisper, "'You are wrong, you are wrong,' and tears of sorrow mingled with the others." "'Oh,' said Ellen, "'why couldn't I keep still, when I had resolved so this morning? Why couldn't I be quiet? But she ought not to have provoked me so dreadfully. I couldn't help it.' "'You are wrong,' said Conscience again, and her tears flowed faster. And then came back her morning trouble, the duty and the difficulty of forgiving. Forgive her Aunt Fortune, with her whole heart in a passion of displeasure against her. Alas, Ellen began to feel and acknowledge that indeed all was wrong. But what to do?' There was just one comfort, the visit to Miss Humphreys in the afternoon. She will tell me, thought Ellen. She will help me. But in the meanwhile? Ellen had not much time to think. Her aunt called her down and set her to work. She was very busy till dinner-time, and very unhappy. But twenty times in the course of the morning did Ellen pause for a moment, and covering her face with her hands, pray that a heart to forgive might be given her. As soon as possible after dinner, she made her escape to the room that she might prepare for her walk. Conscience was not quite easy that she was going without the knowledge of her aunt. She had debated the question with herself, and could not make up her mind to hazard losing her visit. So she dressed herself very carefully. One of her dark merinos was affectionately put on, her single pair of white stockings, shoes, ruffle, cape. Ellen saw that all was faultlessly neat, just as her mother used to have it and the nice blue hood lay upon the bed ready to be put on at the last thing, when she heard her aunt's voice calling, "'Ellen, come down and do your ironing right away now. The irons are hot.' For one moment Ellen stood still in dismay, then slowly undressed, dressed again, and went downstairs. "'Come, you've been an age,' said Miss Fortune. "'Now make haste. There ain't but a handful, and I want to mop up.' Ellen took courage again, ironed away with a right good will, and as there was really but a handful of things, she had soon done, even to taking off the ironing blanket and putting up the irons. In the meantime, she had changed her mind as to stealing off without leave. Conscience was too strong for her, and, though with a beating heart, she told of Miss Humphreys' desire and her half-engagement. "'You may go where you like. I am sure I do not care what you do with yourself,' was Miss Fortune's reply." Full of delight at this ungracious permission, Ellen fled upstairs, and dressing much quicker than before, was soon on her way. But at first she went rather sadly. In spite of all her good resolves and wishes, everything that day had gone wrong, and Ellen felt that the root of the evil was in her own heart. Some tears fell as she walked. Further from her aunt's house, however, her spirits began to rise. Her foot fell lighter on the greensward. Hope and expectation quickened her steps and when at length she passed the little wood-path, it was almost on a run. Not very far beyond that, her glad eyes saw the house she was in quest of. It was a large white house, not very white either, for its last dress of paint had grown old long ago. It stood close by the road, and the trees of the wood seemed to throng round it on every side. Ellen mounted the few steps that led to the front door, and knocked. But as she could only just reach the high knocker, she was not likely to alarm anybody with the noise she made. After a great many little faint raps, which, if anybody heard them, 
might easily have been mistaken for the attacks of some rat's teeth upon the wainscot. Ellen grew weary of her fruitless toil, and of standing on tiptoe, and resolved, though doubtfully, to go round the house and see if there was any other way of getting in. Turning the far corner, she saw a long, low outbuilding or shed, jutting out from the side of the house. On the further side of this, Ellen found an elderly woman, standing in front of the shed, which was there opened and paved, and wringing some clothes out of a tub of water. She was a pleasant woman to look at, very trim and tidy, and a good-humored eye and smile when she saw Ellen. Ellen made up to her, and asked for Miss Humphreys. "'Why, where in the world did you come from?' said the woman. "'I don't receive company at the back of the house.' "'I knocked at the front door till I was tired,' said Ellen, smiling in return. "'Miss Alice must have been asleep. "'Now, honey, you have come so far round to find me. "'Will you go a little further and find Miss Alice? "'Just go round this corner and keep straight along till you come to the glass door. "'There you'll find her. "'Stop. Maybe she's asleep. "'I may as well go along with you myself.' "'She wrung the water from her hands and led the way. "'A little space of green grass stretched in front of the shed.' and Ellen found it extended all along that side of the house, like a very narrow lawn. At the edge of it shot up the high forest trees, nothing between them and the house but the smooth grass, and a narrow, worn footpath. The woods were now all brown stems, except here and there a superb hemlock and some scattered silvery birches. But the grass was still green, and the last day of the Indian summer hung its soft veil over all. The foliage of the forest was hardly missed. They passed another hall door, opposite the one where Ellen had tried her strength and patience upon the knocker. A little further on they paused at the glass door. One step led to it. Ellen's conductress looked in first through one of the panes, and then, opening the door, motioned her to enter. "'Here you are, my new acquaintance,' said Alice, smiling and kissing her. "'I began to think something was the matter. You tarried so late. We don't keep fashionable hours in the country, you know. But I'm very glad to see you.' "'Take off your things, and lay them on that settee by the door. "'You see I have a settee for summer, and a sofa for winter. "'For here I am, in this room, at all times of the year. "'And a very pleasant room, I think it, don't you?' "'Yes, indeed I do, ma'am,' said Ellen, pulling off her last glove. "'Ah, but wait till you have taken tea with me half a dozen times, "'and then see if you don't say it's pleasant. "'Nothing can be so pleasant that is quite new. "'But now come here and look out of this window or door, "'whichever you choose to call it.' "'Do you see what a beautiful view I have here? "'The wood was just as thick all along as it is on the right and left. "'I felt half smothered to be so shut in. "'So I got my brother and Thomas to take axes and go to work there, "'and many a large tree they cut down for me, "'till you see they opened a way through the woods "'for the view of that beautiful stretch of country. "'I should grow melancholy if I had that wall of trees "'pressing on my vision all the time. "'It always comforts me to look off far away "'to those distant blue hills.' "'Aren't those the hills I was looking at yesterday?' said Ellen. "'From up on the mountain? The very same. "'This is part of the very same view, and a noble view it is. "'Every morning, Ellen, the sun, rising behind those hills, "'shines in through this door and lights up my room. "'And in winter he looks in at that south window, so I have him all the time. "'To be sure, if I want to see him set, I must take a walk for it. "'But that isn't unpleasant, and you know we cannot have everything at once.' It was a very beautiful extent of woodland, meadow and hill, that was seen picture-fashion through the gap cut in the forest, the wall of trees on each side serving as a frame to shut it in, and the descent of the mountain, from almost the edge of the lawn, being very rapid. The opening had been skillfully cut, 
the effect was remarkable, and very fine, the light on the picture being often quite different from that on the frame, or on the hither side of the frame. "'Now, Ellen,' said Alice, turning from the window, "'take a good look at my room. I want you to know it and feel at home in it, for whenever you can run away from your aunt's, this is your home. Do you understand?' A smile was on each face. Ellen felt that she was understanding it very fast. "'Here, next to the door, you see, is my summer settee, and in summer it very often walks out of doors to accommodate people on the grass plat. I have a great fancy for taking tea out of doors, Ellen, in warm weather, and if you don't mind a mosquito or two, I shall be always happy to have your company. That door opens into the hall. Look out and see, for I want you to get the geography of the house. That odd-looking, lumbering, painted concern is my cabinet of curiosities.' I tried my best to make the carpenter man at Thirlball understand what sort of a thing I wanted, and did all but show him how to make it, but as the southerners say, he hasn't made it right nohow. There I keep my dried flowers, my minerals, and a very odd collection of curious things of all sorts that I am constantly picking up. I'll show you them some day, Ellen. Have you a fancy for curiosities? Yes, ma'am, I believe so. Believe so? Not more sure than that? Are you a lover of dead moths, and empty beetle-skins, and butterflies' wings, and dry tufts of moss, and curious stones, and pieces of ribbon-grass, and strange birds' nests? These are some of the things I used to delight in when I was about as old as you. I don't know, ma'am, said Ellen. I never was where I could get them. Weren't you, poor child? Then you have been shut up to brick walls and paving stones all your life? Yes, ma'am, all my life. But now you have seen a little of the country— "'Don't you think you shall like it better?' "'Oh, a great deal better.' "'Ah, that's right. I'm sure you will. "'On the other side, you see, is my winter sofa. "'It's a very comfortable resting-place, I can tell you, Ellen, "'as I have proved by many a sweet nap. "'And its old chintz covers are very pleasant to me, "'for I remember them as far back as I remember anything.' "'There was a sigh here, but Alice passed on "'and opened a door near the end of the sofa. "'Look in here, Ellen. This is my bedroom.' "'Oh, how lovely!' Ellen exclaimed. "'The carpet covered only the middle of the floor. "'The rest was painted white. "'The furniture was common, but neat as wax. "'Ample curtains of white dimity clothed the three windows "'and lightly draped the bed. "'The toilet-table was covered with a snow-white muslin, "'and by the toilet-cushion stood, late as it was, a glass of flowers. "'Ellen thought it must be a pleasure to sleep there. "'This,' said Alice, when they came out, "'between my door and the fireplace is a cupboard.' Here be cups and saucers, and so forth. In that other corner beyond the fireplace, you see my flower stand. Do you love flowers, Ellen? I love them dearly, Miss Alice. I have some pretty ones out yet, and shall have one or two in the winter. But I can't keep a great many here. I haven't room for them. I have hard work to save these from the frost. There's a beautiful Daphne that will be out by and by, and make the whole house sweet. But here, Ellen, on this side, between the windows, is my greatest treasure— my precious books. All these are mine. Now, my dear, it is time to introduce you to my most excellent of easy chairs. The best things in the room, aren't they? Put yourself in that. Now do you feel yourself at home? Very much indeed, ma'am, said Ellen, laughing, as Alice placed her in the deep easy chair. There were two things in the room that Alice had not mentioned, and while she mended the fire, Ellen looked at them. One was the portrait of a gentleman, grave and good-looking, this had very little of her attention. The other was the counterportrait of a lady, a fine, dignified countenance that had a charm for Ellen. 
it hung over the fireplace in an excellent light and the mild eye and somewhat of a peculiar expression about the mouth bore such likeness to alice though older that ellen had no doubt whose it was alice presently drew a chair close to ellen's side and kissed her i trust my child she said that you feel better to-day than you did yesterday oh i do ma'am a great deal better ellen answered then i hope the reason is that you have returned to your duty and are not resolved to be a christian by and by but to lead a christian's life now i have resolved so ma'am i did resolve so last night and this morning but yet i have been doing nothing but wrong all to-day alice was silent ellen's lips quivered for a moment and then she went on oh ma'am how i have wanted to see you to-day to tell me what i should do i resolved and resolved this morning and then as soon as i got downstairs i began to have bad feelings towards aunt fortune and i have been full of bad feelings all day and i couldn't help it it will not do to say that we cannot help what is wrong ellen what is the reason you have had bad feelings towards your aunt she don't like me ma'am but how happens that ellen i'm afraid you don't like her no ma'am i don't to be sure how can i why cannot you ellen oh i can't ma'am i wish i could but oh ma'am i should have liked her i might have liked her if she had been kind but she never has even that first night i came she never kissed me nor said she was glad to see me that was failing in kindness certainly but is she unkind to you ellen oh yes ma'am indeed she is she talks to me and talks to me in such a way that almost drives me out of my wits and to-day she even struck me she has no right to do it said ellen firing with passion she has no right to and she has no right to talk as she does about mamma she did it to-day and she has done it before i can't bear it and i can't bear her i can't bear her hush hush said alice drawing the excited child to her arms for ellen had risen from her seat you must not talk so ellen you are not feeling right now no ma'am i am not said ellen coldly and sadly she sat a moment and then turning to her companion put both arms round her neck and hid her face on her shoulder again and without raising it she gave her the history of the morning what has brought about this dreadful state of things said alice after a few minutes whose fault is it ellen i think it is aunt fortune's fault said ellen raising her head i don't think it is mine if she had behaved well to me i should have behaved well to her i meant to i am sure do you mean to say you do not think you have been in fault at all in the matter no ma'am i do not mean to say that i have been very much in fault very often i know that i get very angry and vexed and sometimes i say nothing but sometimes i get out of all patience and say things i ought not i did so to-day but it is so very hard to keep still when i am in such a passion and now i have got to feel so towards aunt fortune that i don't like the sight of her i hate the very look of her bonnet hanging up on the wall i know it isn't right and it makes me miserable and i can't help it for i grow worse and worse every day and what shall i do ellen's tears came faster than her words ellen my child said alice after a while there is but one way you know what i said to you yesterday i know it but dear miss alice in my reading this morning i came to that verse that speaks about not being forgiven if we do not forgive others and oh how it troubles me for i can't feel that i forgive aunt fortune i feel vexed whenever the thought of her comes into my head and how can i behave right to her while i feel so you are right there my dear you cannot indeed the heart must be set right before the life can be but what shall i do to set it right pray 
"'Dear Miss Alice, I have been praying all this morning that I might forgive Aunt Fortune, and yet I cannot do it.' "'Pray still, my dear,' said Alice, pressing her closer in her arms. "'Pray still. If you are in earnest, the answer will come. But there is something else you can do, and must do, Ellen, besides praying, or praying may be in vain.' "'What do you mean, Miss Alice?' "'You acknowledge yourself in fault, but have you made all the amends you can?' "'Have you, as soon as you have seen yourself in the wrong, "'gone to your Aunt Fortune and acknowledged it, and humbly asked her pardon?' "'Ellen answered, No, in a low voice. "'Then, my child, your duty is plain before you. "'The next thing after doing wrong is to make all the amends in your power. "'Confess your fault and ask forgiveness, both of God and man. "'Pride struggles against it. I see yours does. "'But, my child, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble.' Ellen burst into tears, and cried heartily. "'Mind your own wrongdoings, my child, and you will not be half so disposed to quarrel with those of other people. But, Ellen, dear, if you will not humble yourself to this, you must not count upon an answer to your prayer. If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, what then? Leave there thy gift before the altar. Go first and be reconciled to thy brother, and then come.' "'But it is so hard to forgive,' sobbed Ellen. "'Hard?' "'Yes, it is hard when our hearts are so. "'But there is little love to Christ, "'and no just sense of his love to us, "'in the heart that finds it hard. "'Pride and selfishness make it hard. "'The heart full of love to the dear Saviour "'cannot lay up offences against itself.' "'I have said quite enough,' said Alice, after a pause. "'You know what you want, my dear Ellen, "'and what you ought to do. "'I shall leave you for a little while to change my dress, "'for I have been walking and riding all the morning.' Make a good use of the time while I am gone. Ellen did make good use of the time. When Alice returned, she met her with another face than she had worn all that day, humbler and quieter, and flinging her arms around her, she said, I will ask Aunt Fortune's forgiveness. I feel I can do it now. And how about forgiving, Ellen? I think God will help me to forgive her, said Ellen. I have asked him. At any rate, I will ask her to forgive me. "'But, oh, Miss Alice, what would have become of me without you?' "'Don't lean upon me, dear Ellen. "'Remember, you have a better friend than I always near you. "'Trust in him. "'If I have done you any good, don't forget it was he brought me to you yesterday afternoon.' "'There's just one thing that troubles me now,' said Ellen. "'Mama's letter. "'I'm thinking of it all the time. "'I feel as if I should fly to get it. "'We'll see about that. "'Cannot you ask your aunt for it?' "'I don't like to.' "'Take care, Ellen. There is some pride there yet.' "'Well, I will try,' said Ellen. "'But sometimes, I know, she would not give it to me if I were to ask her. "'But I'll try, if I can.' "'Well, now to change the subject. At what o'clock did you dine to-day?' "'I don't know, ma'am. At the same time we always do, I believe.' "'And that is twelve o'clock, isn't it?' "'Yes, ma'am. But I was so full of coming here and other things that I couldn't eat.' "'Then I suppose you would have no objection to an early tea?' "'No, ma'am, whenever you please,' said Ellen, laughing. "'I shall please it pretty soon. "'I have had no dinner all to-day, Ellen. "'I have been out and about all the morning, "'and had just taken a little nap when you came in. "'Come this way, and let me show you some of my housekeeping.' "'She led the way across the hall to the room on the opposite side. "'A large, well-appointed, and spotlessly neat kitchen. "'Ellen could not help exclaiming at its pleasantness. "'Why, yes, I think it is.' I have been in many a parlor that I do not like as well. Beyond this is a lower kitchen, where Marjorie does all her rough work. Nothing comes up from the steps that leads from that to this, but the very nicest and daintiest of kitchen matters. 
Marjorie, is my father gone to Thirlwall? No, Miss Alice, he's at Caracara. Thomas heard him say he wouldn't be back early. Well, I shall not wait for him. Marjorie, if you will put the kettle on and see to the fire, I'll make some of my cakes for tea. I'll do it, Miss Alice. It's not good for you to go so long without eating. Alice now rolled up her sleeves above the elbows, and tying a large white apron before her, set about gathering the different things she wanted for her work, to Ellen's great amusement. A white moulding-board was placed upon the table as white, and round it soon grouped the pail of flour, the plate of nice yellow butter, the bowl of cream, the sieve, the tray, and sundry etceteras. And then, first sifting some flour into the tray, Alice began to throw in the other things, one after another, and tossed the whole about with a carelessness that looked as if all would go wrong, but with a confidence that seemed to say all was going right. Ellen gazed in comical wonderment. "'Did you think cakes were made without hands?' said Alice, laughing at her look. "'You saw me wash mine before I began.' "'Oh, I'm not thinking of that,' said Ellen. "'I'm not afraid of your hands.' "'Did you never see your mother do this?' said Alice, who was now turning and rolling about the dough upon the board, in a way that seemed to Ellen curious beyond expression. "'No, never,' she said. "'Mamma never kept house, and I never saw anybody do it.' "'Then your aunt does not let you into the mysteries of bread and butter-making?' "'Butter-making! Oh!' said Ellen, with a sigh. "'I have enough of that.' Alice now applied a smooth wooden roller to the cake, with such quickness and skill, that the lump forthwith lay spread upon the board in a thin, even layer, and she next cut it into little round cakes with the edge of a tumbler. Half the board was covered with the nice little white things, which Ellen declared looked good enough to eat already, and she had quite forgotten all possible causes of vexation, past, present, or future, when suddenly a large grey cat jumped upon the table, and coolly walking upon the moulding-board, planted his paw directly in the middle of one of his mistress's cakes. "'Take him off! Oh, Ellen!' cried Alice. "'Take him off! I can't touch him!' But Ellen was a little afraid. Alice then tried gently to shove the puss off with her elbow, but he seemed to think that was very good fun, purred, whisked his great tail over Alice's bare arm, and rubbed his head against it, having evidently no notion that he was not just where he ought to be. Alice and Ellen were too much amused to try any violent method of relief, but Marjorie, happily coming in, seized Puss in both hands and set him on the floor. "'Just look at the print of his paw in that cake,' said Ellen. "'He has set his mark on it, certainly. I think it is his now, by the right of possession, if not the right of discovery.' "'I think he discovered the cakes, too,' said Ellen, laughing. "'Why, yes, he shall have that one baked for his supper.' "'Does he like cakes?' "'Indeed he does. "'Captain Perry is very particular and delicate about his eating.' "'Captain Perry,' said Ellen. "'Is that his name?' "'Yes,' said Alice, laughing. "'I don't wonder you look astonished, Ellen. "'I have had that cat five years, "'and when he was first given me, by my brother Jack, "'who is younger than he is now, "'and had been reading Captain Perry's voyages, "'gave him that name, and would have him called so.' "'Oh, Jack,' said Alice, half laughing and half crying.' Ellen wondered why, but she went to wash her hands, and when her face was again turned to Ellen, it was unruffled as ever. "'Marjorie, my cakes are ready,' said she, "'and Ellen and I are ready, too.' "'Very well, Miss Alice. The kettle is just going to boil. You shall have tea in a trice. I'll do some eggs for you.' "'Something, anything,' said Alice. "'I feel one cannot live without eating. Come, Ellen, you and I will go and set the tea-table.' Ellen was very happy arranging the cups and saucers and other things that Alice handed her from the cupboard, and when a few minutes after the tea and the cakes came in, and she and Alice were cosily seated at supper, 
Poor Ellen hardly knew herself in such a pleasant state of things. End of chapter 16